Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Can you think of someone who you'd call the salt of the earth? Has anyone ever called you the salt of the earth? No? In today's parlance, the salt of the earth is used to describe a person who is grounded, genuine, straightforward. Someone who is not after lofty things that are grand or extravagant. Now, has anyone ever called you the light of the world? Can you think of anyone who you would consider salt of the earth also be called the light of the world? Maybe not. The light of the world is the definition of lofty, right? It's not something commonly said about anybody, rather maybe except for your own loved ones and in the context of our own lives. One might say, you are the light of my world. But they seem so opposite. Salt and light, two natural elements, one that comes from the earth that is real and tangible, the other which comes from the world, something ethereal and fleeting. It seems impossible for any person beside Jesus, both fully human and fully God, to satisfy both descriptions. But in our text, Jesus isn't talking about himself. He's talking about us. So what are we to take from this? And especially, what are we to take from this in light of the second part of this text in which Jesus identifies himself as the fulfillment, not the abolition, of Jewish law, of Torah? Jesus' constant foils, the Pharisees, would be incensed by this idea. Next week, we will hear Jesus make amendments and commentary to the law of Moses on topics such as divorce, adultery, murder, conflict, and sacrifice. Therefore, I think it is wise to ground our exploration today and our thinking for the rest of the year, the rest of the time we're going to be spending in this part of Matthew, I think it's wise to ground ourselves in a posture of both discipleship and repentance. It's hard to know where to start with those two, discipleship and repentance, since they tend to beget one another. But I'll start with repentance because you might be asking, what are we repenting of? Well, it is undeniable that Matthew was writing this gospel in a contentious time between Jews and Jewish Christians. The assumptions, therefore, written into the gospel as a result of this polemic has led to bad biblical interpretation that would argue that Christianity is the only logical and faithful conclusion to Judaism and that it is necessarily superior to any understanding of God in the Hebrew scriptures. This is called supersessionism. It's a long word. The belief long held by Christians that unless someone accepted Christ as their savior, they have broken all relationship and covenant with God. It is what puts the Pharisees, the the strictest adherents to the law at the time of Christ, as Jesus' most common foil. Such views have caused unspeakable damage 
to Jews around the world across time. So I, as a priest in God's church, want to take this opportunity from the pulpit to acknowledge the church's role in anti-Semitism, for it goes far beyond complicity. It has at many times been an overt teaching. Our most beloved and prominent church fathers and mothers held views such as these. In 2021, the number of anti-Semitic incidents in the United States reached its highest number ever at 2,717. This is not a vestige of the past that we can comfortably dismiss when we read this part of the Gospels. In fact, I think the church today can relate to the Pharisees in Jesus' time in a way that actually should make us less likely to be supersessionist and perhaps more loving. This is the repentance I want to ground our study in. Now let's identify with the Pharisees for a minute. During the time Jesus was alive and in subsequent decades, especially after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 CE, Israel was still a people in exile. Though they had returned from Babylonian captivity to their land, they were still oppressed by the Romans and still struggling to identify what it meant to be Israel, God's chosen people. Some subsets of Judaism at the time believed that in order to preserve their identity, Torah should be interpreted in its strictest sense. Withdrawal as a response to oppression is very common, and this is what the Pharisees did. They believed the only way to preserve their people is to take an ultra-conservative approach to the law, distinguishing them from the Gentiles who oppress them. It is a tactic of self-preservation and courage, and we should not be so quick to judge that. Because today, I have heard many Christians lament about the decline in church attendance over the past couple decades. Some Christian leaders have responded to this by isolating themselves, latching onto doctrine in order to protect themselves, their church, and defend their relevance. So instead of approaching the Pharisees with the suspicion that we might have been taught, perhaps we can identify with their desire to serve God the best they know how. So Jesus is speaking to all of us now. It turns out there is very little need for us and them in this context. And this is what leads me into an exploration of discipleship that I promised in the beginning. Jesus is speaking to people who felt like they needed to isolate in order to protect themselves and what they know. And Jesus says, no. You are the light of the world, and that light should never be hidden. It should shine into the dark places of the world that hold pain and oppression. That is what God has asked all of us. That is what God ordained Israel to do. That is what God asked the church to do. Though it may come at a cost, and we remember his words at the end of the Beatitudes last week about persecution, it might be costly, but it is the necessary path for anyone who finds themselves clinging to safety and self-preservation. 
God ordained everyone to bring the light of salvation to all nations. And how can we do that if we are so concerned with our own existence and safety and certainty? If our saltiness cannot be tasted, if we do not enhance the flavor of all the good in the world, then what use are we? This is the path of discipleship Jesus is calling us to. We must not be so concerned with ourselves that we forget to live as Christ taught us or that God taught us since the, our beginning. Anytime a group of people feel threatened, they withdraw, and then they might go on the attack. Christians have done this to our Jewish brothers and sisters since that separation ever came to be. But to be threatened should not lead us to hostility, but rather to living in love, acceptance, openness, seeking to find common ground. That is what the light of the world does and ought to do. Shine in dark spots and find a place for everyone to have a seat and be welcomed. The light of the world isn't to convert, but to love, to love always. The salt of the earth makes all interactions taste more like love than blame. It is imperative that we keep this in mind as we continue to explore Matthew's gospel and as we live in America in 2023. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, made to love, and God has your back. So go be it. In the name of God.